morning, I want to ask you, has anyone been a part of a winning team before? Anyone been on a winning team? Wow, not too many of us. Oh, there are, they, okay, here we go, here we go, yeah. All right, the very first team I can remember being on was a Glendora Youth Soccer League team. I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> Coach Cupy. He was the guy that taught me to dribble. He taught me how to kick with the inside of my foot. He taught me how to play the glorious position of right fullback. Truth be told, though, I was not the best player on the team. I was not very fast. I was not very aggressive. And I was not the most accurate with my aim. And yet there I was, sitting in the back room of roundtable pizza with the rest of my team. And coach is there, and he's presenting awards. And he pulls out this soccer ball, and he hands it to me. And he starts talking about the words that he wrote on it for me. And the words were Sonic Boom. <laughs> we were the Sonics, and I was the Sonic Boom. I didn't make contact with the ball very often. In fact, our forwards were so good that the ball spent most of its time in the other, uh, the other team's territory. But there was one game, one game where the opposing team broke through. And this guy's dribbling the ball across the field, and he's coming towards me. And then he pulls the, just a, a dumb move, and he kicks the ball as hard as he can, and it gets away from him, and it starts heading straight towards me. And everything was happening so fast. I had to stop picking at the, at the grass, you know, staring at the I'm like, oh my goodness, here it is. And every, so fast, and yet everything slowed down. The ball is spinning, and yet you can see like the individual, what are they, the octagons or whatever they are in there. Uh, and, uh, and I remember thinking, this is it. <laughs> Your heart begins pounding, right? And your mind starts telling your body, Jared, you have to move. You have to do something. And, and, and so I started moving forward towards the ball, and I remember telling my right leg, you need to, to swing forward and make contact with that ball. And that's exactly what it did. And kaboom. History was made that day. That ball went sailing over the midfielders, over the heads of the forwards. It connected with the ground, bounced, and into the goal. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. It didn't go into the goal. <laughs> but it was a really big kick, so big that the coach remembered it and can, gave me this ball, Sonic Boom. Uh, there was a lot to celebrate that day. Uh, we were the league champs. And what a thing it was. Coach declared that, that evening that we weren't just the Sonics. We were the Super Sonics. <laughs> oh, yeah. What a great thing it is to be a part of a winning team. And we ask ourselves, so many people ask themselves, what does it take to have a winning team? you got to have a really good coach, right? A guy who can motivate or, or a gal who can mentor and, and share that passion with the players. You need to have players. You need to have strong players. You need to have talented players, players that know how to work with each other and not just use their own gifts and abilities, but to highlight and utilize the gifts and abilities of the other team players, right? What else is there? Maybe, maybe a, a common, a shared vision, right? You're, you're going to get out there, and you're going to go for the win. Give your all for the win. Or maybe you know, you got to have good equipment. 
you got to have good play equipment to play a good game. All kinds of things go into a winning team. But now let me ask you this. What does it take to make a winning church? And just asking that question sounds a little weird. Winning church, what do you mean by winning church? Are we talking about a big church? Are we talking about a multi-site church? Are we talking about a, a church that's really, really popular or a church that's writing all this curricula and sending it out there so that we can bless all those little churches out there? Is that what we're talking about, a winning church? No, no, no. I'm talking about a church that does what it's supposed to do. <laughs> a, a, a church where, where guilty sinners realize what's going on inside and they yield their hearts to Jesus Christ and they look to him and they trust him and they love him and they give themselves to serve him. I'm talking about a church where disciples are being made and they're continuing to grow. And I'm talking about a church where people are, are bearing with one another's burdens and they are, yes, sacrificially giving for the good of each other. And you know what? They're even forgiving one another. That's a winning church. It's a church where people is, are, are growing, and they're growing spiritually. But you know what? The church is also growing numerically. Why? Because Christ is doing something there. The Spirit is at work. This is the real deal. People see it, and lives are being transformed. I'm talking about a church that even though the world may be melting down on the outside, the people on the inside, they're continually rejoicing, and they're celebrating, and they're trusting, and they're depending on, and yes, they're even obeying God together. That's what I'm talking about. What Christian wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? A few weeks ago, we talked about the formation of a new church. The church had began in Jerusalem. But it was the Gentile city of Antioch where these followers of Jesus, they, were, they came to be known as Christians for the very first time. And it was at Antioch where the church would now begin blasting out the message of the gospel and Christianity would begin spreading out to the ends of the earth. And it was at Antioch where the church would begin growing in a huge way. We read from Acts chapter 11, verse 21, which says, the hand of the Lord was with them. That phrase, we, we talked about that at men's retreat this weekend in the life of Joseph. The hand of the Lord was with him over and over and over again, despite all these obstacles. It, if you have the hand of the Lord on you, you're, you're going to win. <laughs> the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The church in Antioch was a place where Christianity was booming. Verse 26 says that both Saul and Barnabas, they stayed there for a whole year. And it says that they taught a great many people. Not just a few people. This is not a small operation here. This is a dynamic. This is a growing. This is a thriving ministry. And so we ask, what's, what's their secret? What's the recipe for, for winning here? Well, in chapter 13, first 13 verses, we're going to see the main ingredients. They're, they're, they're rather subtle, but, but they're there. And they all have to do with God's Holy Spirit. They all have to do with an alignment with, a dependence on, and, and obedience to 
God's Holy Spirit. Look at verse 1 with me. We'll just walk through the passage as we've been, been doing as we go through the book of Acts. Verse 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Okay, so, so there's five. There's not just one. There's not just two. There are five men who are identified in here. Five men who are the core leaders in this church at Antioch. And all of these men are about, all about, the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is the, the first ingredient here. A winning church is filled with leaders who walk in the Spirit. And they're referred to as prophets, and they're referred to as teachers. Okay, now prophets are, are unique to the early church. During the time of the apostles, those men who actually walked and talked with Jesus, had encounters with Jesus, and who were laying the foundation for the early church as they spoke and, 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 and taught as God directed them, there were also prophets in that time. Men who didn't necessarily walk with Jesus, but whom God was speaking through. And they were revealing things that were important for the church to know. And it, it's interesting. If you look in the New Testament, what do you see these prophets prophesying? What do you see them proclaiming? Well, one thing that they're not doing is proclaiming new doctrine, new teachings, new revelation. You know, God said do this, but you know, now he says do this. You were once not supposed to do this, but now, now you're supposed to do this. It, it's not that stuff that the prophets are talking about here. It's more practical things. Like you recall um, from a couple weeks ago, Agabus, he foretells of a famine that was going to come in, in Acts 11, 28. Later on, he's going to uh, take a belt and he's going to say, Paul, you're going to be bound like I'm tying your hands with this belt. You're going to be arrested. So he's prophesying in that way, foretelling things that are going to happen. But you know what these prophets are also doing? They're also proclaiming to the people the things that had already been revealed. Already been revealed. So they're, in that way, they're actually like the teachers. There's prophets, there's teachers. And the teachers are the ones who are recalling and bringing to everyone's attention the things that have already been taught. But a little bit different than the prophets, the teachers are, are really fleshing it out. and They're really unpacking what God has revealed. They're helping people clearly understand it, get it, learn it, know it, so that they might, the people might go do it, right, and live by it. Both of them, both of these leaders, these types of leaders in the church in Antioch, they're empowered by and aligned with the work of of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, if you look back at what Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to do, back in John 14, 26, he says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Isn't that exactly what prophets and teachers are doing in the New Testament church? They're doing the Spirit's work. They're teaching the people. They're bringing to their remembrance the things that Jesus said. It's so important to notice how aligned these leaders were with what God wants for his church. Is it about marketing? No. 
<laughs> is it about some new business growth strategy? No, no, it's not that. No, the leaders of the church, the leaders that a church needs and that are essential ingredients to its success, they proclaim and they teach the truth that God has revealed to his people so that they might grow as genuine believers. Not into some type of super social club. And, and not into some sort of political influencing machine. No, it's all about making disciples. And if these leaders are going to equip the members of the church for that disciple-making work, accomplishing what the Holy Spirit wants them to accomplish, then they got to be doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit as well. I said a, a, a winning church. It's filled with leaders who walk in the Spirit. Paul wrote in Galatians, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That keeping in step, that walking by the Spirit, you know, it's the same thing. The New Testament equates it with being filled with the Spirit. We've read about that many times in Acts. We've actually talked about it in some detail. It means living. It means acting. It means thinking in line with the things of God and living in obedience to God. Have you ever spotted a phony? You know the guy who goes out and he spends like $5,000 on a new bike, and then he gets all those, uh, you know, really tight-fitting clothes, the shorts that no one wants to look at, <laughs> the tight shirt, and he wears that aerodynamic, weird-looking helmet that makes him look like a clown, and, and then puts on those, those goofy-looking shoes, and then he gets out there on his bike. You've seen these guys. And they're wobbling all over the place. And they're bumping into curves. And sometimes they lose their balance. And they go, they go over with the bike. They don't catch themselves because they can't get their foot out of the goofy clip that, that locks their foot into that bike. And so they're enslaved to this thing. And you go, and there's a phony right there. <laughs> or at least a beginner. Well, you know, if the church is going to be successful, and it's going to be successful at the things that God wants it to be successful at, then it's got to have leaders who are the real deal. It's got to. They've got to be filled with the Spirit. And that means what? It means that they've got to know God's Word. And they've got to live out God's Word so that they can make their biggest priority getting God's Word out to the people so that they might do what? Know it and live it. Know it and live it. Know it and live it. Didn't Jesus say, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. You want a rock-solid church? Rock-solid church? Leaders need to be walking in the Spirit, and that's an absolute must. No phonies. Not just putting on the garb, not just putting on the robes or whatever it is that we, we wear, the, 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 the funky tennis shoes that we wear. <laughs> The real deal, that's the first ingredient. Second ingredient is a winning church does ministry that's led by the Spirit. Ministry that's led by the Spirit. Look at verse 2. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. While they were, this is what they were doing. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The church in Antioch, it wasn't like so many American churches these days. This wasn't about creating fancy programs. It wasn't about planning big, fancy outreach events or some other type of thing to attract the people and bring them. How can we get, what are we going to do? What's our strategy for bringing these people in? No, at the core of their ministry is what the Spirit led them to do. And what did the Spirit lead them to do? Worship God. 
worship God. That's at least what these leaders were doing here. And someone says, well, what about, the, what about writing the books? And what about uh, you know, publishing the materials and the speaking at the conferences and arranging concerts and leading community service projects and all kinds of other ministry stuff out there, carnivals, picnics, whatever. Well, those may be good, but core to the work of a winning church before and, and, and beyond all those other activities that may be there is focusing on this relationship that Jesus came so that we might have restored. That relationship between us and God. It's, it's so funny how uh, we, we cross go and place our faith in Jesus Christ, and we say, praise God, my relationship with, with Jesus with, with his, is, is right, and, and he's made my relationship with God the Father right. That's great. Okay, now I'm going to get on, and I'm going to be doing all these other ministry things that are so important for me to do. I remember growing up, I was told, you, you know, you got to have a quiet time in the morning, so you got to read your Bible, and you need to pray. And for me, so much of what that was about was just checking a box, just checking a box. I, I just need to do that because that's what good Christian kids do. And Jared, you know you're, you're the oldest of eight kids here, so you got to be the example to them. So you make sure you read your Bible and you pray every day and you'll grow, 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 right? Some of you remember that song. And reading God's word, I, I missed that it, it was actually a thing of, about worship. This is actually here for me so that I might get to know the one that I have been rescued to get back in relationship with, to know him. And enjoy him as is, is the chief end of all humankind. And, and, and my prayer life wasn't to be about, dear, dear Jesus, help me to have a good night's sleep and get through it as fast as I can. And, and I really want this new um, uh, radio control hovercraft for my birthday. Will you please give that? No, no, no. It was about praising him, speaking with him as I was not able to do before. I was cut off. Cut off from the God who loves me and who made me, but now I've been restored back to relationship with him, and now I'm asked, talk, pray continually with him. What does that mean? I'm talking to a person here. I'm talking with the greatest person that has ever existed or ever will exist. I'm talking to someone who I should not have any right to talk to, and I should be in awe and praising and thanking him. You know, it got worse when I I uh, took a job as a junior high youth leader, and uh, Christianity became all about planning games and retreats and youth talks. You got to make sure you have the right stories in there because you're going to lose a kid's attention. If you lose the kid's attention, well, then all is lost. And I didn't realize that as as a minister, as a, as a person who's supposed to be doing God's work, I need to be first doing God's work. <laughs> And that means worshiping him in, in no matter what I did. And so, yeah, you could be planning the games, but you know what? That's an act of worship. Are you worshiping God as you're doing that? Friends, the, the Christians and the churches that are filled with the Holy Spirit doing what God wants them to do. I'm talking about dynamic, truly flourishing churches and Christians or churches and Christians that are devoted to worshiping and relying on God in prayer, above, beyond, and before everything else. And I was thinking just last week, I usually sit kind of over there. I don't know why, I just do. I'm a creature of habit. But I'm hearing you all sing. 
And, and Corey is leading us to sing these songs. They're not always you know, the, fr- the favorite tunes of mine, and it's not, certainly not the style that you know, is my, my preference. I'm more of like a Christian rock kind of guy. But the words that he's leading us to sing are, are words that, that, aren't, that aren't saying, Jesus, you do this for me, you do this for me, you'll do anything I want, and you'll take care of me all, all my day. It, it, it's, God, you are huge. You are magnificent. And, and I'm sitting here, hearing a church belt out the truths of our great God, fully aware of what's going out there, on out there in their world. And I was just thinking, what if someone looked into what's going on here? I I think they'd just be baffled. What are you people doing? Are you all naive? Are you all ignorant? You don't know what's going on in the world? You don't know what the issues? No, no, no. We just know that our God, our great God, is so much bigger than all of that. He's changed everything for us. And we're here to worship him together. Is that who we are? Is that what we want to be? Lord God, I pray that we may be that. That's a recipe for a winning church. That's an ingredient for a contagious faith. we got to keep that up, Bethany. we got to keep that up, and we will grow as Christ's disciples. And, and you know what? Our numbers will grow as well because people will see something different going on here. Something real is going on here. I visited a church or two, but this, these people are sincere, and God is working. The only way we can explain it is the Spirit of God has done a work inside of them. That's what ministry looks like that's led by the Spirit. When you think of ministry, don't think of all the programs. Don't think of all the little tasks we got to do out there. Think about worship. Think about people calling out and celebrating their great God, doing whatever it is that they're doing to the glory of God. Amen? Ah, Wow. We're not going to get through this if I don't speed things up. A winning church filled with leaders who who are walking in the Spirit, The ministry, it's led by the Spirit. Third, a winning church has its mission set by the Spirit. Its mission is set by the Spirit. By mission, I mean what it's doing right now. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of, the Lord, of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And there's a footnote there. And they had John to assist them. John is the brother, or the, uh, the cousin of, uh, of Barnabas. Things were going great in this church in Antioch. I mean, the people are growing, the church is growing, ministries thriving, believers are, are developing and maturing as authentic disciples, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit meddles in their affairs and just throws them a wild card. Have you ever been thrown a curveball? Ah, oh, these people had it. I don't think they had any reason to expect what the Spirit was asking here. The Spirit tells them, you got five great guys here that are Spirit-led, they're walking in the Spirit, great things are happening. I want these two. I want these two. And while they were busy doing what the church does, he calls two of their key leaders away. Notice God's the one calling the shots here. It's not us. We're not, we're not the ones who say, you know what, I think, I think Bethany needs to do this. I think Bethany needs to do that. No, God's the one calling the shots here. 
Now, if this were me a number of years ago, I would have said, excuse me? Holy Spirit, excuse what? What do you think you're doing? Barnabas and Saul, these guys are fantastic. Saul, the, the intelligence and the knowledge he's dumping out on us each and every, this guy's amazing. And Barnabas, he's just encouraging people left and right. I mean, if, if there was one person I could hang out with, it's Barnabas, because I feel great when I do. You can't take him away. What are we going to do without these guys? Now, it can be so easy to think that the way that God has been working in our church is exactly the way that he's going to keep working in our church. We can get very, very narrow-sighted thinking that we know exactly what God's mission is for us, and this is exactly how we're going to carry it out, that we become hesitant to expect or to accept any change that God puts in our lap. But notice how the church in Antioch responds here. When they get the word that Barnabas and Saul had a new mission, after fasting and praying, it says they laid hands on them and they locked them in a closet. You weren't going anywhere. No, no, no. <laughs> they laid hands on them and they sent them off. This laying of hands that it's talking about right here, it's not the kind of laying of hands that some, some Christians and some churches think of. It's not to place a call on the lives of these men. No, they had already received the call. Holy Spirit spoke, it's done. And neither is it to somehow give them some special anointing of God's Spirit. No, they were already filled with the Spirit because they knew God's Word and they were, they were living it. They were obeying it. The laying of, of hands here, as we're actually going to do in two weeks for our youth director, Brandon, as we send him off up to Oregon to be associate pastor at Greg Stiles Church, it's, it's the kind of laying of hands where it's the community of believers coming together as a community, and they acknowledge God's doing something here. And in unity, they're praying God's blessing on that person or persons who's going to go and do God's work. What's in store for Barnabas and Saul and, and John Mark? Well, what's in store for the church in Antioch? They don't know. None of them knew. But what they didn't know is that they were in God's good hands. And they needed to be all about God's mission, whatever he revealed that to be, right then and there. Are we ready to do the same? That's a hard thing to do. What's next for Bethany? God only knows. People ask me, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? What's your 15-year You know what you're doing here? You know where you're taking this thing? Absolutely not. God does. By his grace, we'll be ready. And by his grace, we'll be willing to accept whatever his spirit gives us. Fourth, a winning church recognizes opposition to the spirit. On the Mediterranean island of Cyprus, three missionaries are traveling around. They're making their way from synagogue to synagogue, and they're speaking to the Jewish community the good news of Jesus Christ. Have you heard the news? You need to hear the news. Verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemus, the magician, same guy we're talking about here, and in parentheses it says, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. 
Bar-Jesus, interesting name. What does that name mean? You know, it means son of salvation. Come listen to me, everyone. I'm Bar-Jesus. It's Jewish man's Greek name, Elimus. Well, it's precisely the, the way the word magician in Arabic is pronounced, but transliterated into Greek. Luke tells us that this man, he had attached himself to the proconsul, to the governor of that region, Sergius Paulus. God had plans for this Roman governor, but you know what? So did this guy, Bar-Jesus. Oh, he had plans for this governor. He was on a mission to twist, to turn, to manipulate him for evil. Are there real forces of opposition out there desperately trying to do all they can to influence the world for evil? Are there forces out there that are actively working in opposition to God's plans, trying what God is trying to accomplish through his people? You better believe there are. Oh, yes, there are. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And they are moving about. They're, they're moving through, they're exerting their influence on, they're darkening the minds of and enticing the fallen desires of people, people that we will encounter. You know, this is not a game. This is not some imaginary fairy tale. This is not Big Bad Wolf. How is it that Americans have come to be so naive as to imagine that going to church and reading your Bible and praying every day are just nice things to do? Now, this is war we're talking about here. We're caught up in a cosmic battle that has existed for millennia. That's why Peter writes, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is not an isolated incident here. This is global. It's happening throughout the world. This is why Paul, the very same person encountering Bar-Jesus, he wrote, urged Christians in Ephesians, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Stand against what? Stand against the schemes of the devil. <laughs> Have our senses become so dull that we fail to see what's at stake here? Our enemy is not some silly little troublemaker in red spandex <laughs> going around trying to inconvenience our lives or trying to make our lives less great than we would like them to be. No! He wants to ravage people made in God's image. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. He wants to enslave, he wants to terrorize, he wants to keep people on a trajectory that will not just lead them to, uh, you've heard some people, it, it, well, it, it's a little warm there, but you know, we're all going to get together, all our, our buddies are going to get we're going to party down there for all eternity. No, it's not that place he's leading them to, between eternity of weeping and gnashing of teeth, of, of absolute despair and anguish. Do you know the atrocities of Adolf Hitler? And are you familiar with the horrific things that Joseph Stalin did? And so many others like them. The crimes against God's image bearers 
they are stomach turning. It's not a bad dream. And it's not just good plot material for the next hit movie. No, it's real. It is real. And the one who warped their minds and filled their souls with hatred and removed any sense of of human decency and morality and replaced it with pure evil, he is still at work today. Still at work, oh yeah. He's at work in some of the hearts of world leaders. Yeah, he's at work shaping and manipulating public policy and legislation. Yeah, he's putting up roadblocks, and he's leading people to financial ruin and and relational crisis. He's doing all he can to make the world believe that Christians are the problem here. But you know what he's also doing? He is trying to convince us that retribution rather than forgiveness is the answer. That we can find true freedom by turning on our loved ones. That that embracing who we imagine or would like ourselves to be is what it's all about. Living for yourself, oh, that's that's the recipe for true fulfillment here. He's also trying to get us hooked on sinful indulgences that we think are harmless to anybody out there and that no one really has to know about. You know, he's coming after our children with subtle and not-so-subtle devices from the indoctrinations that's happening these days in public schools and in in the books that are going on in their libraries to the slow drip of ideology that is fed to them through secular children's programming and to the addictive nature of the the soul-destroying content that is there on unguarded tablets that we un that we unwittingly place in our children's hands. You know, he's, he's at work. He's hoping to lead us to sit back and wait for those other Christians. over there. They're, they're the ones that are going to take the faith really seriously. Oh, he's hoping that. He's counting on that. He wants to encourage us to be critical of one another. Oh, he wants, to, he wants us to care more about our comfort, more about our personal preferences than anything else. Do we recognize that, church? You have an enemy. You have opposition. We need to help each other recognize that. There is most certainly an enemy on the outside, but there is an enemy that wants to work his schemes inside the church. And if we don't recognize that, we will most assuredly not have our guard up against it or be prepared to get on our knees and fight it. Bar Jesus, son of salvation. He's on a mission. Keep Roman governor from trusting in Jesus, making a transition from death to life, from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of heaven. And to Barnabas and Saul and John Mark, he was opposition personified. Should they be frightened? Should they be afraid? Should they be intimidated? And maybe we'll go to another town where it's a little less hairy there. No, of course not. Of course not, because they knew who they served, and they knew whose power was within them. says in verse 9, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of of all deceit and villainy. Sounds like a Star Wars thing. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Not a son of salvation. 
No, in fact, he's actually a son of the devil. And Paul continues, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, not in a good way. You will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, it says, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul, the governor, believed. Like so often, so many times in the Gospels, the miracles that Christ performs sends a message to everyone else, this is real. This is real, people. Trust in the message. Believe the message. He believed when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions, they set sail for Paphos, came to Perga in Pamphylia, footnote, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem, which we'll be talking about more in the days ahead. But the fifth and final ingredient is a winning church It experiences victory as it is produced by the Spirit. These missionaries from the church in Antioch, they relied on the Spirit's power. Not only was their opposition defeated, but an incredible victory for their king was won. This guy, Sergius Paulus, surrenders his life to Jesus, and Lord only knows how many people come to faith in Jesus because of this guy. What influence, what power did he have? You know, we may be tempted these days to look at victory in terms of dollars in the bank or square footage of our facilities or number of subscribers we get to our, our channel, our page, our podcast. We need to remember that the victory that the Spirit of God accomplishes through his people and through the ones that he cares about, it's measured very, very differently than the way our culture and our world measures victory. These men, they step into battle, and the victory is the soul of one man. What kind of victory are we longing for, are we hoping for, are we devoting ourselves to, are we counting on, and then we'll say, wow, God's moving here. What kind of victory is it? It's not putting solar on the roof. It's not that. It's not about padding our savings accounts. It's not about putting on some great new program. No, if we're walking by the Spirit, we can expect to see the Spirit producing victory, the kind of victory that He is here to produce. People's lives are turning to Jesus. And Christians who once felt really cold and out of the loop and out of touch and, and dry and stale and dabbling in all kinds of stuff. They're saying, no, no, no more. I'm, I'm coming back and I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. And you know what? I'm going to worship him with all I've got. And every single moment that I have left on this earth might not be very long. There might not be many of those moments, but they're, they're his. That's the kind of victory that he is going to bring about. The victories that matter to God. They may not be the victories that make today's headlines, but they will be the ones that matter for eternity. This is what a winning team looks like. Are we a winning church? I pray to God we will be and that we are. We should want to be because there's not another game out there where the stakes are higher. Let's be a church that walks by the Spirit, that knows God's Word and actually lives by it and obeys it.
Let's be a church that does ministry that's, that's led by the Spirit, the kind of ministry that he really wants us to do. Not get so uh, discombobulated and distracted and consumed with all these busy things that we got do- going on. Yes, we will have these busy things, but worship is the number one thing that we care about. That's the ministry that the Spirit's producing here. Let's be a church that gets on with the mission that the Holy Spirit wants us to do. Always be watching, always be willing to do what he's calling us to do next. Let's be a church that recognizes opposition. Let's not be taken in by the schemes, fooled by his tactics, or intimidated by his threats. And let's be a church that sees victory as it's produced by the Holy Spirit. Let's value what God values and recognize it when we see it. We saw victory. There's victory going on up there on the mountain. And it it looks like some high school student saying, I need to think about my future. I need to think about what God wants to do in me and how he's producing in me now the qualities that he's going to use in the days ahead. Maybe if he brings a child into my life that I might father that child well and point them to Jesus. That's a victory. A victory is a person who raised their hand at VBS years and years ago, yet lived their life as if they didn't know the first thing about God, and they step in back into the family of God because a brother or sister said, you know what, you you really need to check this out. You really need to think about this because look at the world out there. And they step in here and they go, whoa, this makes sense. I need Jesus in my life. I've seen people like that come to our church. (laughs) Victory is those believers who have walked with Christ all their lives. Yeah, I was raised in the church, and they've been here all this time. And they're led to think, yeah, I know, I know that mess. Oh, yeah, he's going to preach. I know that thing. And, you know, I really would like it better if he did it this way. There was a time when, when, wow, this church was really cranking here. And and they say, wait a second. No, no, no. God be praised. God, what do you want to do in my life? It's so tempting to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I put in my time. I did, I did all this, and I served, and I, you know. But they push that aside, and they say, God, I, I may not be able to keep up with the junior high students anymore, but I'm here, and use me till the day I die. We want to celebrate the victories that Christ is accomplishing, that the Spirit's accomplishing in us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for examples that we have in, in this incredible book called Acts, written by a, a, one of your guys, a doctor named Luke, so that we might know how you worked before, have a playbook for how you want to work today, and we might know what it means to be obedient and authentic and genuine followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we want. We don't want to play church. This is not a game. This matters. So, Lord, would you continue to call us to yourself and to your word, transform us from the inside out, develop us into warriors for your kingdom, and as broken and as fragile as we are, Holy Spirit, work through us and in spite of us powerfully, that all glory and honor and praise may go to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.